Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. 1999 was a very important year technologically. Benefone came out with the very first phone that had a built-in GPS. Unfortunately, it was primarily available only in Europe. But we had TomTom Tom and Garvin to help us get us wherever we needed to go without a map. You know, things like bear left, but keep right. Proceed 82.4 miles. Oh, at the nearest, safest, earliest place, make a U-turn. They didn't call us dumb, but you could hear their voice. You still had to pay attention, otherwise you could wind up driving into the water at the Kailua Kona Pier. You can look that news story up, just happened last week. But there were no more glove boxes full of maps, or trying to read a map at night with that dim dome light, or trying to figure out how to refold the map up after you were done with it. So I was in high school. We had a choir performance at an association church that I had never been to. Last minute, they needed another driver, and so my 72 Ford F100 lime green pickup truck was drafted, and Brett and I were going to take off. Now, the driver turned, and he said, you know where we're going? And, of course, being a high school student, I said, you betcha. No problem. I just figured I'd follow him, except for the fact that he turned out of the driveway, he hung a left, uh, ran a pink light, cut over three lanes, and took the entrance to the freeway, and all we could see was fading taillights. Well, we had to go find a phone booth. Yes, a phone booth with an intact phone book. Look up the church's address, and then, because I worked at a gas station, I had a glove box full of maps. Pull one out, locate it, and then map our way there. Yeah, with that dome light and Brett reading everything. We did get there, but I could have really used a GPS. You know, imagination was not Thomas's strength, but he was honest. He didn't believe in fairy tales, and his questions, and especially his answers, could be very, very blunt. Do you know anybody like him? Somebody who doesn't hold things back, who tells you exactly what they're feeling, exactly what they're thinking? There was a time when Jesus said the church leaders were going to kill him, but it was no big deal because he was going to die, but three days later he was going to come back to life. It sounded a little bit strange because, I mean, who comes back to life after they die? Well, unless you count Lazarus and Jairus' daughter and a, and a few others. Yeah, Jesus said he was going to get things ready for him. That also made him a little uncomfortable because it almost sounded like Jesus was planning on them dying in the not-too-distant future, and that, well, that, that was always a little scary. Then Jesus said it. At least you know where I'm going. All the other disciples, like me, just nodded their head. You bet you, Jesus. Yep, we're right on board. But Thomas didn't disappoint. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? Awkward silence, followed by Jesus saying, I am the way. And although Thomas let it go with that, you know that he had a million questions. He actually wanted Jesus to pull out the map and highlight it all the way down, showing all the exits and all the things, and then really draw a circle around where they were going and then say, you know, here are the landmarks so that you'll know when you get there. But Thomas also knew that Jesus often spoke in riddles and metaphors. This was just a puzzle he was going to have to work out for himself. So how are you at puzzles? My dad loves them, and he gets one done about every two weeks. My wife also loves them. But how are you at puzzles? Do you love them, or do they drive you crazy? You know, one of the greatest puzzles that we go through is figuring out how to live in the present. I know that sounds silly because our watches, calendars, and uh, clocks tell us that we're living in this exact moment. But the truth is, very often our heart, our mind, and our soul are captive to the past or to the future. You know, Jesus had something to say about that. He said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough things to worry about. 
He also said, you know, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Of course, that doesn't mean forgetting everything about the past because there are moments we, you know, of clarity, moments where we learn things that, that allowed us to get out of a jam and we don't want to repeat some of the things we went through to get where we're at, so we need to hold on to those things. And, and let's face it, the future brings hope and gives us a chance to make changes right now so that our life is more than just fingers crossed and you know, rubbing a lucky rabbit's foot, which wasn't so lucky for the rabbit. The past and future are often necessary, momentary escapes from the present. We just have to make sure that they don't trap us in a way that, that, that we're not living out this moment and, and, and enjoying what God has given to us at this moment. To make sure you're living in the moment, you might try blessing your demons. Oh, I know that sounds a little strange, but trust me. Demons like anxiety, desire, memories of people you failed, Moments when things didn't go so well. Moments when you weren't yourself or maybe moments when you were a little too much of yourself, if you know what I mean. You know, bless them. Tell them they appreciate the lesson that they taught you, but they can go away now because thanks to Jesus, you're, you're past that. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You're loved. So they can just go back to wherever they need to go back to because you're moving on. And then, as a confirmation, watch for a strange coincidence, a miraculous moment, a saint disguised as a neighbor, a friend, a perfect stranger, who points to something at just the right time. And then that final puzzle piece falls into place. Listen for that still, small voice of God telling you that you are His unique and unreproducible miracle. Imperfect, flawed, often heading in the wrong direction, but still loved and redeemed. And then take a big deep breath and live in that moment. See, clarity about our own imperfection and failures opens up the possibility of grace. And grace relieves the pressure of both the past failures and any future failures because it gives us the ability to know that we survived those failures so we can make decisions now. And if we fail, there is forgiveness for those failures in the future as well. And by the way, it also reminds us that those around us whose past failures are connected to our present, and I don't mean in a good way, or whose foot seems to be sticking out, threatening to trip us as we try to move forward, they also need grace. From God, certainly, but, but also from us. On the first Monday, Thursday, the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples right before he was killed, he said, you know, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And he wasn't just talking about loving the people we normally love or, or loving the people we like or loving the people that are nice to us. He, he included in there loving our enemies, loving strangers. See, acknowledging and confessing our past not only brings a clarity of our sin, but more importantly, an awareness of how much God must love us. I mean, when we realize what God has done for us, the sins that he has forgiven, God's love for us has to be amazing. In light of God's grace, we're able to take our first steps in following Jesus on a path of forgiveness and redemption, a path, by the way, that is not of our choosing, not of our design, not something that we can even see where it's going. We're simply following Jesus. We also realize any grace or forgiveness that we might share with those around us following that new command that Jesus gave to us on Monday, Thursday. As we bless any demons or enemies and send them on their way, it's nothing compared to what God has done for us.
And the light of the cross and the empty tomb that set our feet on a journey following Jesus tells us that Jesus isn't going to hook a left, run a pink light, shift over three lanes, and take the entrance to the freeway and leave us behind. No, Jesus. Jesus is going to make sure that we get where we're going. But our road home is not always as clear as we would like it to be. Like Thomas, we find ourselves saying, you know, Lord, we've never been where you're going, so how can we possibly know the way? St. Paul put it this way, you know, now we see through a mirror dimly or darkly, but don't worry, then we shall see face to face. We're looking at the world through a mirror that's lost its reflectivity. I I mean, it's so smudged and dirty and the silver or the aluminum has, has taken on this haze that you really hardly can see anything. And so our life is more about living on the side of the cross before Jesus died and rose again. See, we know Jesus died and we know Jesus rose again, but it doesn't always feel like Easter in our world or or in our lives. So like Thomas, we have doubts about what's next and how we're going to get there. The truth is the full picture of the resurrection side of the cross is more than we can handle. There are intricacies far more complex than we're able to figure out, no matter how smart or theologically acute we are. There's things that we just, we're just not going to be able to get which is why Jesus' response to Thomas was perfect. We have no idea what you're saying, Jesus. We have no idea where you're going. How do we get there? Jesus says, I am the way. See, if we look deeply into that mirror, beyond the scratches and faded silver or aluminum, past all of the smudges, we catch a glimpse of God's work through Jesus. Crosses, empty graves, and a heavenly welcoming committee saying, you are a loved and redeemed child of God. See, we vaguely see what will be for us one day, but which is already for those that have gone ahead of us. It's only a glimpse. It's faded. It's distorted. But it's clear enough that we know it's real. But for now, the cross is often far more real than the resurrection. The cross is a truth we understand because our here and now reality often involves pain and suffering and a fear of death. It's the reason when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you and you know where I'm going, we might nod our heads and say, yeah, you betcha, Jesus, we're we're right on it. We'll, you know, we've got this. But the truth is we don't have a clue what he's talking about. And that's why we need the Thomases in our life. The one who's willing to say, Jesus, you're going to have to show us the way. Don't don't leave us. Stay with us because otherwise we're going to get lost. See, even when Jesus responds, I am the way, it's a complex puzzle that we stare at and struggle with. Because no matter how many times we hear, you are saved by grace through faith, we still think we have to do something. I mean, it cannot be as easy as just believing in Jesus, can it? I mean, that just sounds impossible. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Some of us aren't sure if we should be offended by that statement or thankful. I mean, normally, by the way, when when somebody says we don't know what we're doing, it's a bad thing. Did those church leaders and Pontius Pilate and King Herod and the screaming crowds know what they were doing? I mean, they certainly acted like they knew what they were doing. But did they understand the the full concept, the consequences? And what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Pilate, Herod, the church leaders, crowds, they all believed Jesus was real. He was right in front of him, bloody and beaten and hanging on a cross. And then what about the disciples, the ones who should have believed The ones who should have believed most had run away, and at least one of them had denied him three different times. I mean, what did they believe? John stood there with Mary, Mary, and Mary, who after he died, they put his body in a borrowed tomb, and they came back with the necessary spices ready to anoint him, expecting him to still be dead. And the centurion, if we pay attention to his grammar, 
He says, truly this man was righteous. That's pretty much past tense. Have you ever looked at something a hundred times and then on a, the hundred and first time see something that's always been there, but for whatever reason you hadn't noticed it until now? Now you can't see anything but it. When we were finally able to sing the liturgy again, but when the pandemic had gotten far enough that the government finally said, you know what, you can do this and this and this, we ran all new worship folders. And we've been using those worship folders for two years. I was sitting in the sound booth before chapel on Wednesday before we were getting ready, you know, and I just happened to look down and then I looked down again and I've looked at that cover a thousand times, only this time I noticed that we misspelled the word healthy. We flipped a couple of letters there. Yeah, next week, by the way, we're going to have brand new covers in church. When Thomas said, you don't know, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? It was an honest response. See, all the disciples believe in Jesus, but how much faith does it take to believe in someone when they say they're going to die on Friday, but be back in time on Sunday to have breakfast? I have no doubt the disciples kept staring at Jesus, just like when you stare at all those puzzle pieces that are laid out on the table, looking for just a couple of them that might connect so that the picture gets just a little bit clearer. See, here's the real challenge. What Thomas was saying was he didn't know what the puzzle would look like when it was finished because, you see, most people buy a puzzle and they open it up and they dump all the pieces on the table and move them all around, turn them right side up and try to separate the corners, you know, however you do it. And, but then you take the box and you set it over there because you know when the puzzle is finished, it's going to look just like the box cover. But here's the thing. What if you don't have the box cover? What if you have no idea what this puzzle is supposed to look like, how all the puzzle pieces fit together? See, if you've got no idea where Jesus is going, then you have no idea how you can get there. But when you gaze into his face, his life, his miracles, his words, you catch a glimpse of something. And by the way, that glimpse is going to determine what you are going to do next. See, for the church leaders and Pilate and Herod and the crowds, the glimpse was enough for them to know they were done with Jesus. He did not match up with what they wanted. And so whatever they saw, they took their puzzle pieces, threw them back in the box, threw the box in the rubbish, and went back to their life. Mary Magdalene, Lazarus, Peter, John, the rest of them, their life had been as broken as the pieces of the puzzle. And just when it looked like Jesus was going to help them put all the puzzle pieces together, he died. And he went somewhere they couldn't go. But there was that echo of his words, if I go, I will prepare a place for you and come back so that you can be where I am at. On Good Friday and Holy Saturday, as we gaze into that dark, cloudy mirror, first we can't see anything except pain and death and disappointment. Things we're very used to because on this side of the cross, those are things we understand. It's a place we have no problem finding because we're very familiar with it. But as we stare a little longer and take a deep breath and let it out slowly, if we are still and let God be God and listen for his voice, we see a dim reflection of an empty tomb and a risen Jesus and a place where God wipes away the tears of everyone who's there and calms our fears and removes our insecurities and heals our pains and diseases and loves us unconditionally. See, it may only be a dim reflection, but we know that it is also a reality and it's a place where we want to be. And that just leaves, how do we get there? Thomas wasn't the only one struggling that day. Philip was a little more brazen. He wants Jesus to set up a face-to-face -face meeting with God. Jesus actually doesn't take it too badly, but he does say, you know, after all this time, 
Do you still not know who I am, Philip? After walking on water, turning water into wine, feeding thousands, raising the dead, healing the sick, confounding the church leaders, how is it that Philip didn't recognize who Jesus really was? But how often do we not see God when he's right in front of us? You see, I started to say as good Lutherans, how do we not see it? But there is no such thing as a good Lutheran, only a forgiven and redeemed Lutheran. Anyway, we confess, we know that Jesus is in the bread, the wine, the water, and the word. But also, like the disciples, we are so worried about knowing about God, and, and, and we go down all those rabbit holes, that when God actually shows up in the flesh, we still don't recognize him. I love the fact that Jesus is so patient with his disciples. Even after they've messed up, missed out, and misunderstood, Jesus keeps offering them grace over and over again. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is the most important lesson you can learn from the scriptures. And the reason you have to read it between the lines instead of God just coming out and saying it is this is something that you need to get for yourself. Something that you take to heart because you finally get it. Not because somebody said, thus says this, so just accept it. And like Thomas, when we say, how do we know the way? Jesus' next words become the most important. I am the way. And then he takes us by the hand, the heart and the soul. And we know he's not going to, uh, you know, hang a left, run a pink light, shift over three lanes, and take the on-ramp to the interstate and leave us behind. Instead, he's going to walk with us and make sure we get home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.